Morning, everybody. Good to see you this morning. How good were those guys this morning? Hey, it was fantastic. And then I got to follow an offering talk as well. I mean, that was a pretty pumped up offering talk, hey? Yeah? All right. So I think we might just leave it at that, actually. If you want to give your life to Jesus as well, um, where do you go from there? All right, anyway, don't do that again, all right? Hey, I'm his boss. You shh, shh, shh. Okay, if you've got your Bibles there this morning, guys, um, look up Luke chapter 9, verse 1 to 6. That's the that's passage we're going to be looking at this morning. A few years ago, um, you would all know this, uh, if you've been in church for any length of time, there was a big m- movement based on a book called What Would Jesus Do? Does everyone remember that? Um, bracelets, all sorts of accoutrements that you could buy. So this morning, I thought I would look at the topic of... Um, what would Jesus undo? Um, <laughs> sorry? Yeah, control said. Oh, yeah. What would Jesus undo? And I, the reason I want to do that is because we tend to think that um, when Jesus came the first time, he came really to establish something and to set something up. But, but actually, when you think about it and you look into it a bit more, you actually, what you find that Jesus actually came to reclaim something that had actually been lost. Um, that there was this system and way of relating to God that had layered and developed over a long period of time that had just moved further and further away from who God was and what he was about and become its own kind of entity. Aren't we glad that that sort of thing doesn't happen today? Um, And so when Jesus came, a lot of what he was doing in, in not just the stuff that he was saying, but in the stuff that he was just doing, he was undoing a lot of those layers, a lot of that complexity that built up over this time to get back to the beauty of the essence of what this was supposed to be about. And so you would have him say things like, well, you have heard that it was said, but I say to you. So in other words, this is what people have been telling you. This is the way people have been trying to make you think the way it is, but I'm actually here to tell you that it's different. Um, There were times where, I don't know if you noticed, but as you read through the Gospels, Jesus almost invariably, when he was doing a healing, it almost invariably took place on a Sabbath. He was quite provocative and purposeful in that because what he was doing was saying, you have taken this thing that God gave for you and for your benefit and for your blessing and turned it into something else and I'm here to reclaim that as well so you can understand the purpose behind this. Even with those with whom he ate and hung out, Jesus was sending a very clear message that God was accessible to everyone and there wasn't these kind of um, rooms and layers of people who were in and people who were out. That God was actually for everyone and everyone had accessibility to God. He blew apart the idea that prayer was ritualistic and it was a complicated thing to do. You know, they would have so many prayer times a day. They would have all sorts of prayers for all sorts of things. They would have all sorts of postures for prayer. And Jesus came along and he said, when you pray, simply do this, our Father who art in heaven. And again, he put the capacity and the ability for people to be able to just simply speak to God in a meaningful way back in the hands of people. He dismantled the thinking that God's great plan for redemption for the world was in the hands of a select few and a very complicated structure system by pulling alongside 12 uneducated and inexperienced guys and saying to them, now I want you to go and change the world. And the fact that you and I are here today is proof positive that that plan worked, yes? Yes, 
okay? So Jesus came to undo a whole lot of things. And I can't help wonder but think, if Jesus were here today, and I mean physically because I know wherever two or three are gathered, there he is with us. But if Jesus were here walking these halls today, physically, what would he have to undo? The best I can say is I think. I think because I can't categorically claim to be speaking for Jesus this morning. So the best I can do is say, look, if if Jesus were here today, what would he undo? I think, based on what I see of Jesus in the scriptures and my understanding of what he was all about, I think he'd be doing a very, very similar thing here today that he did when he came the first time. And that was undoing the complexity and the layers and the structures and the systems and everything that was simply getting in the way of letting people see how good God is and, and what he's on about, how accessible that is to them that he would bring us back to ground zero, to the essence of what it was all about, and, and probably then tell us, now don't move from this spot. It was interesting this morning, we didn't actually collaborate on this, but, but I'll just put it down to God moving, okay? Um, that Dan chose to, and good to have you back leading today, Dan, by the way. It was, it was lovely, yeah, it was really good. Dan ch- deliberately chose this setup, and, and I think the simplicity of this setup um, kind of speaks to what I'm talking about this morning. And, and many years ago, there was a, a, a church called Soul Survivor Church in England, and they had a songwriter and, and worship leader there called Matt Redmond. Many of you have heard of Matt Redmond? Um, it's okay, you, you have to be in the know and be a Christian for a long time to know this stuff. So. Uh, anyway, but what they found at their church, and it was a big church and full of lots of young people in inner city London, what they found in their church was that people were coming to church based on who was worship leading that day, right? Um, And so what they said was, this is not right, this is a problem, and we've got to do something about this. And so they decided to strip back everything. They decided to just get rid of absolutely everything that was extraneous and not absolutely essential to just having running a, a gathering. And I think all they ended up with was sometimes just one person on stage with a guitar and it was out of that time that Matt Redmond wrote a song again some of you will know the heart of worship out of that time where it was about now we've stripped away everything that we think is so essential to what we do um, what are we left with we're left with this very simple heart of worship and I think that was a really brave thing to do and I think it was a real critique of what this thing we call Christianity and church has, has become this consumer-oriented culture uh, and the church is a deliverer and dispenser of religious goods and services and whoever delivers the best goods and services gets the biggest consumer base. And that's just not what Christianity is about. It is not about that at all. And if we're picking and choosing about when and when, when we go to church or whether we go to church or where we go to church based on the service that we receive when we get there, we couldn't be further away from what it means to follow Jesus. Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't always try and do our best, you know, and we shouldn't try and deliver the best that we possibly can. But I'm saying if it's all about us getting something delivered to us, worship is not an event. Worship is an encounter with the living God that involves us stepping forward and bringing something of ourselves into that. Even if the best we can bring is simply to front up and listen. But it is not an event that we consume. And neither is church and neither is Christianity. And I think this is the sort of thing that Jesus wants to get 
to the bottom of in all of this. And it has become quite a business over time. There are books and podcasts and courses and conferences. All these things are aimed at helping us do this thing better. And that's great. Like, I'm not against that, that we need to learn these things better. But I, can, I honestly feel in my bones that we would be better served by not trying to make things better, but trying to make things more simple. I really feel we're in a much better place personally, collectively, and with our witness in the world, that if we just got back to the things that truly mattered, we might actually find that, that not only our lives are incrementally changed for the better, but our impact in the world is exponentially changed. Okay? See, these days, there's so much around. You, you can't just pray. You've got to get books and courses on the secret to prayer, you know? You can't just evangelize. You've got to know about effective evangelism. You know what I mean? You can't just raise your family and be a common sense good person who loves your kids and doing your best for them. You know, you've got to raise your children God's way. Like he's got only one way of, of, of doing it, you know? And there's this complexity and these layers that are building up around some of the most simple things. And we're starting to get confused and move away from the center. Maybe it's just that we're mistrustful of simplicity. You know, maybe we're just mistrustful of simplicity. Like, it, it can't be that easy. It can't be that simple, can it? You know, it's almost like it's, it's, it's too good to be true. If it's just that thing, then, then oh, I don't quite feel safe with that. Maybe we feel safer if things are more complicated, like we feel less naive, that maybe the more preparation we do, the more we're actually geared up for success, that somehow by preparing more, we minimise we minimize our chances of things not working or going wrong, and we maximise our chances of going right, we'll see in a minute that that's, there's nothing to that. Maybe we like telling ourselves that things are more complex than they are, and I think this is part of the problem. Maybe we like telling ourselves things are more complex than they are so we can actually put off doing them. Yeah? I mean, why do today what you can talk about? Yeah? Why not study something? Why not discuss it into the ground? This doing? Hey, that's so 2017. You know? Maybe that's why we do this stuff. So there's no doubt, though, that life is complicated and the world we live in is vastly more complex than it's ever been. But what if the way we can make a real difference in the world and in our own lives is just as simple as it ever was? And I love this episode in Luke that we're going to read in a minute because Jesus is launching God's redemption program for the world, his restoration of all creation. He is launching this program into the world. Now, I think we can agree that's a pretty big program, yeah? That's a pretty big plan. So what does he do? Exactly what you'd expect with a plan that grandiose and that important. He pulls aside 12 uneducated, inexperienced people, and he says, off you go. Okay? That's what he does. Now, to be, to be fair, it is a little more involved than that. They've spent some time with Jesus. They've heard a few things. Don't forget, this is in a three-year period. And what we're about to read is very, very early on in the piece, in that three-year period too. But they've spent some time with Jesus. They've heard him talk about stuff. He's instructed them a little bit. But ultimately, in the end, he just calls them to himself and he says, right, I want you to go off and do this. And they did. And again, that you and I are here today is proof that it worked. So let's have a look at Luke chapter 9, verse 1 to 5, or 1 to 6. I'm reading from the message version. Now Jesus now called the 12 and gave them authority and power to deal with all the demons and cure diseases. He commissioned them to preach the news of God's kingdom and heal the sick. He said, don't load yourselves up with equipment. Keep it simple. You are the equipment. And no luxury inns. Get a modest place and be content there until you leave. If you're not welcome, leave town. Don't make a scene. 
shrug your shoulders and move on. Commissioned, they left. They travelled from town to town telling the latest news of God, the message, and curing people everywhere they went. So there's a couple of, just two things I want to take out of this this morning for us to, to think about and act on. And the first is this. Following Jesus is hard, but it's not complicated. No. Right? Following Jesus is hard, but it's not complicated. It's hard in the sense that it takes courage, that it calls us to step out beyond what is comfortable and what is easy, that it really stretches us sometimes to do stuff that we think is absolutely beyond us. Okay? It is very hard in that sense, but it is not complicated, and that is a distinction worth always keeping in mind. After Jesus had given the 12 authority, the NIV version simply says, he sent them out. I love Jesus' ministry and mission training. It's like, it goes like this. Here's what you need, authority. I'm giving it to you. Here's what I want you to do. Go into all the towns and villages around here and tell them the good news about God's kingdom. Now, the good news about God's kingdom is, hey, guys, God rules and reigns. It's okay. God is on his throne. I know it doesn't look like it at the moment. I know the Romans are here. I know there's all sorts of stuff going on, but God rules and reigns, and he is here, and he is going to put the world to rights. That's the good news, okay? So I want you to go into all, all these villages, and I want you to tell them that, okay, that his rule and reign is here. So you've got that. You've got authority. You know where to go. Go. You'd want your money back if you signed up for that course, wouldn't you? you know, hang on, Jesus. I thought this was going to be like a 12-month intensive. Mm, no. No, you've hung around with me for, for almost a year now. You've seen what I've done. You've heard what I've been talking about. You've got the basic idea. Here's the authority. Now I want you to go and do what I've been doing. Off you go. And here's another thing, and this is nothing new. This may be a revelation to some of you. But what Jesus understood that sometimes we fail to understand is stuff happens by doing, not by knowing. Yeah? Now, there's, there's, that's, that's tweetable, and that's worth coming here today, isn't it? Stuff happens by doing, not by knowing. The other thing in this is that nothing is guaranteed. He says to them, you're going to go, and some places you're going to go aren't going to want to have anything to do with you at all. Don't get your knickers in a twist. Shrug your shoulders, go, uh-uh, and walk away. You know, sometimes we want the guarantees up front, don't we? We want to know that if I'm going to do this thing, I want to know it's going to have the outcome that I want. There are no guarantees. But that should never stop us trying. And you know what? You never know unless you have a go anyway, yeah? And sometimes I think a lot of stuff we don't do because we're not guaranteed that it's going to have the outcome that we want, so we don't do it. And we may have missed something that was going to happen because we didn't do it. Yeah? You never know unless you have a go, but there are no guarantees. Sometimes we will step out and we will do what we have been called to do. We will do the right thing. And we won't get the response. We won't get the outcome we want. That's just par for the course. But then there are other times when we do it and we will, which we otherwise would not if we just sit around talking about it and discussing it and not doing it. Now, we might be scared about doing the stuff that Jesus tells us to do. We might feel ill-prepared. We might think it's beyond us. And from that point of view, it absolutely is most of the time. And it's hard. Following Jesus is hard. I want you to hear me say that. Following Jesus is hard. It is really, really hard at times. But it is not complicated. An example. 
If your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault. Hmm. But I don't want to do that. So let's, let's define brother. Let's define fault. Let's, let's find another way of doing this. And Jesus says, no, if someone sins against you, go to them and show them their fault. That is a really hard thing to do. Can we agree? But it's not complicated, is it? Is it? It's pretty straightforward. Go to that person. No if, buts, or maybes. Go to that person. Bless those who persecuted. Ah, what? Bless those who persecute. Again, what do you mean by bless? And what do you mean by persecute? Well, I mean, where's the limit in all of, all of that? Is it this type of persecution? What if they're doing this? Do, they, is that, do I still have to go and bless those people too? Yeah, again, that's really, really hard thing to do, yes? But it is not complicated. Love God and love your neighbour as yourself. Love God. Oh, that's easy. God doesn't annoy me. Love your neighbour as yourself. Well, can we talk about who my neighbour is? Do you remember the story, that, you remember the parable of the Good Samaritan and how that, that begins? Jesus is talking about this. He, he actually talks this. This is the great commandment. Love God, love your neighbour. And it says there is a, a religious expert in the law standing in the crowd and wanting to justify himself, he says to Jesus, a good teacher, who, who's my neighbour? And the reason he does that, because he thinks he's on safe territory, because they had already defined who your neighbour was. And your neighbour was someone who was exactly like you. They'd already written this down. He knew who his neighbour was. He just wanted to hear Jesus say it. And Jesus screwed him over. Okay? Big time. Jesus went, oh, let me tell you a little story about a Samaritan. The worst of the worst of the worst in the eyes of the Jews. And then Jesus says to him, tell me, who was the neighbour in this story? Jesus, the man who had pity on him. He couldn't even bring himself to say Samaritan. The man who had pity on him. Now, is it hard to love people who are nothing like us? Is it hard to love people who are the worst of the worst of the worst? Yeah, it is. It's really, really hard. But the command to do it is not complicated, is it? And this is the distinction I want us to bear in mind. Because somehow, somewhere, we've managed to confuse and conflate hard and complicated and make them one and the same thing. And by saying hard, but it's, 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 it can't be done. No, the problem is you don't understand. It's not a problem of understanding. You know exactly what needs to be done. You're finding it hard. And it's okay for you to find it hard. It's okay to say, I don't want to do this. This goes against everything, every impulse in me. It's okay to say that. It's hard. Following Jesus is hard. But it's not complicated. So there is no misunderstanding about what he's asking us to do. The problem is that we don't want to do it. And the first step to us breaking out of some sort of mindset where we're going, hey, you know, I kind of don't do half the stuff I'm supposed to do. It's just admitting we're not doing it and the reasons we're not doing it. Not hiding behind some pretend excuse. That's, it's hard. It's complicated. It's not. It's hard, but it is not complicated. You know, the really scary thing about Jesus is how straightforward and unambiguous his teachings actually are. He doesn't obfuscate, does he? He eschews obfuscation. 
Look it up. Okay. Google it. All right. No. Uh, <laughs> I'll talk about it later. All right. So, the thing is, it's, it's, he, Jesus could, is crystal clear about what he wants us to do, how he wants us to live. There is no ambiguity about it whatsoever. Go. Go. But, but where, just go. Go to, go to the immediate vicinity. Go to whatever is in proximity to you. Don't stand here and debate it, discuss it and talk about it. Just go. But we want to push back on that one. You know, Heather and I have been talking about this for a while, how we both are feeling personally challenged about the idea about talking to people about Jesus and bringing, being good news in places because part of the problem I have, not so much Heather because she works down at the restores, so she's dealing with a whole range of people all the time, but me, I'm around Christians all the time. I work in church. So 99.9% of my work is around Christians. And some of you still need to be saved. Um, we all do. But, but I'm like, I don't get the opportunities that I used to have when I'm working in situations where I'm not surrounded by a bunch of church people. And so I've been thinking to myself, I've got to go to, I've got to do this as well. I can't just tell other people to do it. I have to be doing this as well. And I confessed a little while ago that I've been dining out on old stories for a long time. You know, oh, back when I was in the army and back when I did this. There were days where I used to do all of that sort of stuff because I was in those environments. But now I haven't been in those environments as well. It's getting more and more difficult to me. So I've been thinking about this. And then I think God really showed me something uh, last week. I went down to the, to the restore to see Heather about something and I was just talking to her. And there was a guy sitting at a table right here. And he could see me talking to her. So in his mind, he put together that I must have something to do with this place. And he said, hey, can I ask you a question? I said, sure. And he was a... He was older than me. He was, I think he was about 60. Um, I mean, a lot older than me. Um, uh, and, um, and he said, what, you know, what, what is this place? And I started to tell him a little bit about it and what we do. And he's like, oh, that's fantastic. You know? He's having a coffee at the Cafe Restore, which you haven't been to. Go. It's really worth going to. Um, and he's, he's saying, this is, this is fantastic. And then he said, you know, so tell me how it all works. And I was explaining to him that, you know, we... We try and funnel as much money as we can back into this, into our food program, where we've, you know, we're probably feeding between, what, 60 to 80 families a week now through our food program, and you know, we do advocacy and we try and help people. And you know, we, just, we just try and do what we, do to, we can do to help people as much as we possibly can. And so he started talking about his life and what he was interested in, and he was just blown away by the shop because he was a, des a designer by profession and uh, lived in Seven Hills his whole life, never been in the shop before, didn't know it existed, couldn't believe how, you know, professional everything looked and how on point it was and all this. Da, 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 da. Anyway, then he says to me, and what's your part in all of this? And uh, I said, oh, I'm, I'm the senior pastor of the church that runs this place. And he went, oh, cool. Now, let me just tell you, I never have that response, <laughs> right? That's, that is not the response I normally get. When people say, what do you do? I usually go, I work with people. I'm an existential consultant. Yeah, I'm in the eschatological advisory business. Um, they're like, yeah, great. Um, and I don't know, I just felt, I felt it was okay to tell him. I'm a pastor and I, I, I don't do that because I'm ashamed. It's just because people don't know what to do with that sometimes. And they sometimes tend to judge you based on that rather than get to know you a little bit first. But anyway, so I said, oh, that's, that's, that's really cool. And then the next thing he said to me, just left me in my tracks. 
He said, I've always wanted to talk to someone about God. I went, that's the stuff you read about in books, isn't it? That's the sort of stuff you pay to hear at conferences. You know, I walk into places and people go, tell me about God. You know, well, th- that never happens, right? So, but <laughs> What's that? Okay. You can't say that now. Yeah, it happened. And uh, I said, oh, okay, so when... You're a local. When are you down? He said, I'm going to be down here every Thursday. I said, I'm coming down to talk to you. So what I want to tell you about that is not that I'm telling you that's prescriptive, right? You, you do what I do, that's going to happen. I'm just describing something that happened. It was more for me than anything. And it was what it was, was, was God just reminding me, you totally overthink this sometimes, Adrian. I, di- I didn't tell you to, to come up with a strategic plan for evangelizing the world. I told you to go. And if Go is going down to a cafe, if Go is making yourself available wherever you are, if Go is, is just asking someone a question you know, at work, then go. And it just struck me, you know, here I am going, where am I going to find the time to do this? How am I going to fit this into my schedule? Where am I possibly going to start with all of this? And it was like God said, go. Wherever you go, just be aware. Just be aware of what's right in front of you. I'm like, can't be that simple but it is God doesn't ask us to orchestrate the universe and people into you know look he just says go and be ready just go and be ready now you can do that wherever you are can't you you can do that at work you can do that at home you can do that in your social circles you don't have to go in there with a big thick King James Bible and hit people over the head you just have to be available and see what God is up to and he may bring people to you You may find him at work in people in some of the most unexpected places, but we have to go and we have to be prepared. It is that simple. Go. It's hard to do sometimes, but it's not complicated. And we can apply that to all of the stuff that Jesus tells us to do. Love, bless, give, serve, pray. They're hard to do sometimes, but they're not complicated. We just have to start where we are with what we have and do the best we possibly can and allow him to do the rest, yeah? That's it. No one, no one, not God himself, expects us to have it all worked out. He just expects us to obey and to start where we are, yes? So take that one away with you today. I admit it's not always easy, but it is definitely not complex. The world will be changed by us simply doing And doing simply the things that Jesus clearly tells us to do. And we will be changed. Jesus says in John, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Now our Western obsession with our minds and with our belief systems, somehow believing that if we get all our ducks lined up in a row in terms of our orthodoxy and our beliefs, will somehow translate into some sort of experiential reality, is not working. And it was not what Jesus was talking about. The word that Jesus uses there for know is not this type of knowing. It's knowing through experience. It means to test something out and to verify and affirm that a thing is so. So for example, my moussaka is fantastic. Right? It's, no, it's fantastic. Right, thank you. My moussaka is fantastic. The reason I can tell you my moussaka and everyone who's eaten it will tell you that it's fantastic is not because they looked at the recipe and said, that sounds fantastic. It's because they've eaten it and found it fantastic. Yeah? Are you with me? 
eggplant. Taste and see that the Lord is good. That's exactly the point. And taste and see that the Masaka is good. Yeah. Another day. I'll bring it. I will make a small one and then I shall multiply it. Um, I'd like to see that. All right. Um, it's not complicated. No, it's not. It's hard, but it's not complicated. Uh, thank you, wife. Um, it's that type of knowing. It's, I know this to be true, not because I read about it in a book, not because I heard about it in a conference, not because I heard about it in a sermon, not because I read it in my Bible. I know it to be true because I have tried it and found it to be true. I speak about this from experience. Ex- the experience of doing the thing is what actually sets us free. You with me? We do it and we are set free. When Jesus tells us to forgive, we are not set free unless and until we forgive. And then when we do that, we see the wisdom in what he was saying about forgiving. It's the same with serving and giving and loving and blessing and going. All of these things we can understand theoretically, but we will not be transformed ourselves unless we do it. And as we do it, we go, wow, why didn't I try this before? Yeah? This is true. We know through the doing. It is experiential knowledge, not head knowledge. The proof of the pudding, or of this particular pudding, Christianity, is in the tasting, not just in the recipe. I know I'm mixing my metaphors. So, if you're not having life to the full that Jesus promised, it won't be for lack of knowing, it will be for lack of doing. If we're not seeing the outcomes that we think we should see in our life or through the ministry or mission God's given us, and again, it will not be for lack of knowledge, never, not in this day and age. It will always be for lack of simply doing. Simply doing. Everything we've been called to do, we can do. We have all we need. It's scary and it's hard, but it is not complicated. The other thing I want to say, which is my last point in all of this, is you are and you have all you need he says don't load yourselves up with equipment keep it simple you are the equipment and no luxury inns get a modest place no new jets and be content there until you leave i love that line you're going to go and do this thing guys but here's here's the guiding rule keep it simple because you are the equipment Say, I am the equipment. Say it like you mean it. (laughs) I am the equipment. It's interesting, isn't it, that Jesus seems to have more faith in us than we do in ourselves most of the time. Yeah? It's true. It is absolutely true. Jesus has more faith in you than you do in yourself. And, you, and we could say, yeah, well, that's because he doesn't know me like I do. <laughs> do you really want to argue that point? Let's see. An omniscient God and you. I know where my money's going. He knows you better than you know yourself. He knows you're not perfect. He knows your flaws. He knows everything about you. And yet he still has more faith in you than you do in you. Otherwise, he never would have left his entire plan of redemption for the world in our hands. He would have had a much better backup plan, wouldn't he? He would have given it to the angels. He would have given it to someone who couldn't screw up. But he gave it to us because he has more faith in us than we have in ourselves. I went to 
the Sydney prayer breakfast the other day at the International Convention Centre. I had to be there at 6.30 in the morning. Did you know there's a 6.30 in the morning? Right? And every morning. It is every morning, apparently. Worse, there's a 5.30 in the morning because I was in the car driving down the road and there were lots of other people who apparently know this. And there's like 1,500 people there. All the movers and shakers, the premier, and all, all, sorts, of, all sorts of... It was a big, it was a big day. Uh, I'd been invited. I was at one of these tables. And as I came in, um, I was sitting at a table with, with a bunch of people I've known for donkey's years, guys I was at college with and, and whatever. And um, I sat down at the table and I just... I was watching these guys and uh, all these guys, my friends, they're all massive extroverts, right? So they're all, they're working the room and they're back slapping and they're doing the big, <laughs> you know, all the stuff that you, you know. Um, and so this is all going on, all this networking going on around me. And I'm sitting at the table reading my program. You know, you know like, no one loves me, no one cares, all of that sort of stuff. And um, I know it's really sad. Um, and it just reminded me of another time <laughs> Another time I, was, I went, went into state for a conference and um, I was with someone, I won't mention the person, there's nothing bad, but anyway, I was with someone and this person sort of said to me um, near the end of the conference, you know, have, you been, have you been kind of making connections and, and networking, you know, because I've got like, she had like a range of things. And I said, oh, no, not so much. Um, because between the sessions, this is the truth, I was sitting in the darkest corner of the auditorium by myself because I can't handle lots of people. I'm, I'm such an introvert that I find myself getting like so socially awkward, people want to have me committed. And um, so I found myself sitting there. And you know, my introversion, um, which has is, which is often been a, a problem for me, I, I, I often find myself sometimes thinking, things could be so much different and so much better if I was just not introverted. Or, or this, you know, we could have such a bigger, better church if I was just more of an extrovert, like some of those guys you see on telly, you know, the guys who speak really loud voices and, you know, they run up and down and they're full of energy and stuff. You know, this church would be so much better if I was just an extrovert. You ever find yourself thinking like that? Not necessarily about church, but just about things in general, about this could be so much better or that would be so much better. It would be easier if I was just more like that person, if I had more of those qualities or I had more of those sort of characteristics. It's a trap I fall into all the time. Um, because sometimes things just look easy for others and it looks like, yeah, that's the sort of thing that God's going to bless or that's the sort of person that God, God is going to use and I'm just not that person. And I guess what I want to say is it's okay to admire what we see in other people and appreciate what God is doing through them. I, I can and, I, and I, really, I really, really do. But it's not okay for us to want to be them. It's not okay for us to feel like we need to be like them at all. They're different, not better. And who you are is who you are. And who you are is enough, even with all your quirks and imperfections and introversions or whatever it happens to be. It's enough. And Jesus has faith in you as you are and has called you to do what he has called you to do as you are. And it's like I think it might have been Glenn or someone else mentioned in a sermon recently, um, you know, be yourself because everyone else is taken. You know? And that's something we have to get good at, being comfortable in our own skin. I was going to do a sermon um, and I may still do, but, but I just had a lot of conversations like this with a number of people over a period of time. So I was going to do this sermon saying it takes all kinds. It takes all kinds, okay? Because sometimes we fall into the trap, and I think we, this is particularly true in, in church world. We fall into the trap of standardising and homogenising 
what it looks like to be a Christian or a follower of Jesus, you know, or particularly a full-on follower of Jesus, you know. And they're always the people that are up the front in worship like this, you know, for, you know, before church starts and after church starts. They still, they just, they just can't get enough of that, you know. And they're up at dawn and they pray and they read their Bible and, you know, they've got all these stories to tell how God uses them every time they, you know, just happen to walk out of the door, they save someone, you know. And we get all, and we look at those people and we think, yeah, that's what I need to be like. And it's almost like we've got these ideas about this is what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus or a full-on follower of Jesus or a mature or effective follower of Jesus. The problem is I think that the kingdom is far more richer and diverse than that. I just do. I just, I just think that God is not... <laughs> God is not in the business of just, you know, replicating the same thing because that just lacks imagination. It doesn't just lack imagination, it's ineffective because some people are better in some situations and some people are better in other situations. Some people are some people's cup of tea, other people are other people's cup of tea. And I just think God is, you know, the kingdom is just far more, more diverse than we ever um, allow ourselves to think sometimes. And some people, you know, they love to pray. Others struggle. Some people, as I say, they're manic worshippers. Others of us come to church. And, you know, we just... I was talking to someone a while ago. He goes, it's just not something I really get into. And, you know, the problem is when we start to say to people, well, in order to be a Christian, you know, you've got to kind of fall into these categories. You've, you've got to love worship and be a worshipper. Or, you know, people start to get into areas where they're forcing themselves to be something that they're not. Now... Now, it's, it's, we, we need to take the rough edges off ourselves, you know what I mean? Like We need to be transformed in our character, in the sort of person that we are. I mean, that is the goal of discipleship, that we become more like Jesus. But again, not in some sort of standardised or homogenised way. It's like Dallas Willard said. It's about becoming like Jesus would be if he were you. So we retain our uniqueness and, about ourselves. It's not just all being the same type of person. Because just because we're not like that person or like that person doesn't mean that that person is better it just means that they're different it takes all kinds so here's the thing i want us to take away from today style in terms of how people are wired and structured and shaped and the way they function and everything that style is immaterial it is substance that matters right our style is immaterial it is the substance that matters what I mean by that is that you are living a life where in everything you are trying to love God and love others is far more important than how you do that. That you are trying to make the world a better place and bring the kingdom into places is more important than how you do that. That you are faithfully using the gifts and talents and resources that God has given you both to serve your church, your neighbours, your family, your world, okay, that you do these things faithfully is far more important than how you do these things. And here's what I want us to get today and why I think Jesus would work at undoing the complexity that surrounds the way church is today. Because the power of the church is in all of us simply following Jesus as ourselves. It's hard, but it's not complicated. And you need to know that you already have all you need. And Jesus has more faith in you to do this than you do. And so can I challenge you this week to, to give this a try and to start? Take a simple approach to following Jesus. Where he says do something, do it. Don't overthink it, don't discuss it, don't study it, don't pray about it. Just do it, okay? 
and believe that God wants to and can use you in some way. Again, don't overthink it. Don't wonder what someone else would do or how they would do it. Just do what is right in front of you in the way you would do it and just see what God does in that, yes? Just take this challenge this week. Reduce it down. Pretend you're thick as a plank and that you don't understand anything other than what's written in front of you, right? Pretend that you're incapable of complex thought and just go, when it says to do something, do it. And to put yourself out there and to believe that God will use you and you don't need to be anything other than you are for him to do that this week. Amen? Please take up that challenge this week. Next week, I'm kind of going to follow on a little bit from this. Um, So don't miss it because it'll be even better and you'll be sad. So thank you. Bless you, and we'll see you next week.